Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12, we're going to read through verse 20, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, uh, says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you that we can come and we can read these words written down for us by Paul 2,000 years ago, but God, they still are so real and so able to convict and to guide and to teach and to, uh, to help us be more like Jesus today. God, I pray as we continue to dig into your word this morning that you would be faithful, that your spirit would move in our hearts, that we would hear and see uh, new things. Uh, God, that we would look more like Jesus after this morning than when we walked in the building today. God, we love you so much and we thank you for what you will do in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So something you should know about me is that I am what I like to call a realist. I'm not a pessimist. And I'm not an optimist. I like to label myself as a realist. Like when I see a situation, I look at a situation and I I figure out what is the most likely outcome and that's what I prepare for. Well, actually what I do is I look at a situation and I see the, the worst possible thing that could happen. And then I prepare for that and hope for the best. So maybe I'm a pessimistic realist, but I'm definitely not an optimist. Um, so uh, I'm learning that to, to, to be a little different in that. I'm trying to have a little more um, optimism in my outlook on things, but I, when I'm confronted with a situation that I'm walking through that is hard and that is difficult, my mind automatically goes to, like, what is the worst possible thing that can happen? Like if I'm about to have a conversation with somebody and it's, I know it's gonna be a difficult conversation, I begin to have this conversation in my mind and I play through it over and over and over again of how they, this person will negatively respond to everything that I'm gonna say. And then I'll be talking to 
to my wife about it and she'll remind me that I'm not having a conversation with anyone, so maybe I should just pray about it. Uh, and so, but what uh, some people, and maybe you know someone like this who, views, who view life just a little bit differently, to some people, uh, they can walk into any given situation and they're the eternal optimist. Anybody in the room an eternal optimist? One, okay. Uh, oh, maybe a few of you, okay. Uh, uh, so every, every situation that an eternal optimist walks into, they, uh, they are prepared to, uh, to, to find how it's gonna work out, right? They, they look at a situation and, and where I might look at it and say, this is, we're gonna crash and burn, this is gonna be horrible. An eternal optimist would be like, man, this is awesome. Like everything is just gonna work out fine, right? Does anyone know anybody like that? or maybe you are that person. Um, I wish I had some of your optimism. I don't, but that's okay. And so, uh, so Paul in this, in this passage is this, this, uh, this eternal optimist, but I think for Paul, it comes out of something, not some misguided optimism, uh, but Paul here um, is, is saying, look, verse, verse 12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what has happened to Paul is that he is in prison. He has been in prison for, for saying that Jesus is Lord. And this, this right here, for me, like if I'm in prison, I'm not gonna be the optimist. I can promise you that. So I have a friend who I went to high school with. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding, one of, one of my really good friends. And through a series of, of bad decisions that he's made, um, a, a couple months ago, he was, he was put in prison. And I find it even hard for me to have any optimism in his situation. I'm not even in prison, right? I'm not, I'm not experiencing what he's experiencing. And, and in fact, um, he still hasn't been like put in a permanent place. So he's still being bounced around from place to place. And, and so, but his sister's giving me the information of when I can write him. And so I've had a note uh, or a reminder on my phone uh, for the last week or week and a half, say I need to write him a letter, but it keeps on getting put to the, to the back because it'll pop up and I'm like, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow because I just don't know what to say, right? Because he's in this, this situation that is absolutely horrible. Now, this situation is, that he's in is, is of his own doing. He made some bad choices. What he is walking through right now as a result is consequences of, of his decisions. But, but Paul here uh, is... is kind of in the same place, right? Paul, because of his decision to follow Jesus, to no longer simply say, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue to be a Jew. I'm gonna be a Pharisee. I'm gonna worship uh, the God of the Old Testament. He, he saw the light literally on the road, right? Uh, and he saw the light and he said, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. And everything that I do and everything that I say is now focused on Christ. And so Paul uh, is, is arrested and he's, he's thrown into prison because of his following Jesus. Paul's in prison uh, and his imprisonment seems like it would be a detriment or a negative thing to those who love him. So Paul, so I, I listened to Chris's uh, message from uh, the first few verses of Philippians so I could kind of see where y'all were going. And one of the things um, you know, put, he explained very well was this idea that Paul had a great relationship with the church at Philippi. He's not in, he's not in Philippi, he's in, he's in prison in Rome right now, but he has this great relationship with his church at Philippi. And so he's writing in this letter because he knows that they're concerned for him. And just like anyone who, uh, if you have a friend who's going through a difficult situation, I would hope that you would look and, and you would have concern. And so the Philippians who love Paul and cherish Paul and, and want him to be free, they're concerned for him. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Something that, that I think is, is just amazing here is though Paul may be in chains, the word of God is not imprisoned. Though Paul may be in chains, the word of God is not imprisoned. See, Paul is not sitting back in his, in his jail cell and, and, and twiddling his thumbs or, or carving the, name, the, the, the days on the wall, you know, in Roman numerals, which would actually be appropriate then because he's in Rome and that's when they did that. Anyways, um, so uh, he was, you know, he, he's not doing that. What, what is Paul doing? Paul is spending his life every moment whether he's free and able to walk about or if he's in prison, he's spending every moment focused and centered on Jesus. He says, the whole imperial guard and all the rest that know that his imprisonment is for Christ. This is an amazing testimony. They know why he's in prison. How do they know that? They know why he's in prison because he won't stop talking about it. Paul wouldn't stop talking about it outside of the prison. Paul won't stop talking about it in prison. Everything about Paul is Christ-centered. Whether he's free or whether he's in jail, uh, his circumstances don't, uh, don't, don't cause him to, uh, to, to waver, right? I was talking to uh, a, a, an 18-year-old guy who just graduated earlier this week, and he's just saying, he's, I'm lost. I've been lost for a year. I don't know what to do with my life. I'm going through these different circumstances, you know, and, and, and he, through, through the course of the conversation, just one thing kept coming up that I kept on reminding him, look, your circumstances cannot determine your joy. Your circumstances cannot determine uh, your, your outlook on life. You can't base how you feel right now and, and think, oh, life is horrible. Life is, is no good. I don't know what I'm going to do, Right. Paul had every right to be here and say, man, this, this sucks. I'm in a hard place. I'm in prison. I can't do what God's called me to do. God was sending me to another place and I got, I can't go there now. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Right. That could, Paul could have done that. And, and I think a lot of us in this room would have said he'd be justified to do that. But instead, what does he do? Not only is he, is he telling the, the imperial guard about Jesus, but he's writing a letter to people who love him and care for him and saying, look, you don't worry about me. Just everything is good, right? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's encouraging people. He's, he's, he's using his life to be an example of the gospel, but also be an example of the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness doesn't just, it isn't just a real thing when we're having a good day. God's faithfulness is with us in the midst of our difficult circumstances. And then verse 14 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only is Paul preaching and teaching uh, about Jesus in the midst of prison, right? But, but he is now, the way that he has responded to his situation has led others outside of prison, other followers of Jesus who are in Rome where he is imprisoned, they are more bold now to speak about Jesus without fear. Paul's outlook on his imprisonment, his confidence in Christ, in spite of his circumstances, has given other Christians the confidence they needed to share Christ boldly. 
Now, for me, I know in life, there are days, and some of them have been recent, where I, where I just wake up in the morning or, I, or I'm sitting on the couch or, 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 or just walking through my day and it just, it just hits me that this is hard, right? That life is hard. Some of you are in the middle of a, of a very difficult situation. Some of you are walking through a very hard thing right now. Some of you, maybe, maybe you just got out of a hard thing. Maybe, maybe you just got over an illness or maybe you had lost a job and just found one or, or something like that. There's, there's three people that are, are connected to our, our church in Kingwood that have recently lost their jobs. And we have, we're connected to like 15 families. So that's 20% of our families have lost a job in the last week or two. That's crazy. That's a hard thing to walk through. But God has been so faithful and not that he's been faithful and so he gave them a job, but he's been faithful to, to keep them encouraged by the spirit as they've walked through a difficult circumstance. And, God, and, and we're trusting that God will help them find a new, a new job. But maybe we're, you're walking through this hopeless situation. I can't think of a much more hopeless place to be than in prison. But Paul did not allow his circumstances to to make him waver in his confidence in Christ. So Paul is, is, is in prison and he's writing the Philippians and he's saying, everything is okay. It's okay because the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is still being proclaimed even though I'm in prison. In fact, people are gaining confidence because I'm in prison and continuing to, to talk about Jesus. And so people outside of, of prison are, are now being more bold to share the name of Jesus. And then Paul switches gears uh, just a little bit in verse, uh, verse 15. And he begins to talk about some issues that are, they're experiencing, that he's experiencing personally uh, where he is. Verse 15 uh, says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul is, Paul is seeing his, the effect of his faithfulness and his continued pursuit of Christ in prison. It, it's kind of spurred on two groups of people. So the, the, the first group of people are those who, who love Paul, who love Jesus, and, and want to see the mission of Jesus accomplished in this world. And they've been encouraged by what Paul is continuing to do in prison. They love Paul, they love Jesus, and they want people to know more about Jesus. But the second group over here is this group of people, uh, and, and the scholars are, are debate on exactly what group of people it is, and so we won't get into that. But uh, there's a group of people that, that are saying, look, you're in prison, we don't like you, so we're going to see if we can make it worse for you. But we're going we're gonna to teach the same thing that you're teaching. And hopefully because you're in prison for it and it's growing out here, you'll be in even more trouble because of it. So there, there's these two group of people who one love Paul, the other doesn't. They're rivals of Paul. They, they, they want him to, to suffer even more in prison. This is their, their whole goal is, is, that, is that he would suffer. And those who love Paul and love Christ are preaching boldly to further the kingdom of God, but those who are doing so out of rivalry are seeking to hurt Paul in some way, which, uh, which I, I, can, I, I can see why they would do it. Like if you, if you stand for something and, it, and it's viewed negatively by people, if, if that stance grows, then your platform grows, then people would be even more apt to throw stones at you or, to, or try and knock you down off of that platform, right? 
And so that's what these people were doing. They didn't like Paul and they didn't want him to succeed. They actually wanted to hurt him. That was their goal was to hurt him. So, but Paul, once again, uh, this, this optimism that Paul has isn't just relegated to him being in prison, but it's also uh, relegated to these, these rivals that he has. So he's, he's overjoyed at these people who are preaching Christ faithfully. They love him. They love the Lord. They're, they want the kingdom of God to expand. But then there's this other group of people who are his rivals who do not like Paul. And what does Paul say? Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So Paul could very easily look to the group of people that love him and that are supporting him. And he could say, go do something with these people. Like get them out of here, shut them up, make them stop preaching Christ because they're just doing it to hurt me. But instead Paul says, look, these people are preaching Christ out of a good heart. These people are preaching Christ out of a bad heart, but who cares? Christ is being preached. Glory to God. In that I will rejoice, Paul says. Man, I don't know. I, I, well, I do know. I wouldn't have that attitude. Like there's no way. There's no way that I would be able to sit there in prison in a horrible, hopeless situation and try and have confidence in that. And then there are people trying to harm me while I'm in prison and, and, and really, I would, man, be piling on the hopelessness, but not for Paul. Not for Paul. See, Paul has this otherworldly confidence in Jesus. He has this, this otherworldly ability to, to look at a situation and not look at it with this eternal optimism, but look at it through the lens and the eyes of Jesus and say, how can this further the gospel? Oh, I know, I'm in prison with a bunch of Roman guards who I would probably never have the opportunity to be around or talk to. And so thank you, God, for putting me in prison with the Roman guards so I could tell them about Jesus. This is glorious. Oh, I'm in prison, so I'm not able to be the mouthpiece outside of these walls. We have a group of people who love you and are, are doing that, God, praise you, right? We have a group of people who, who don't like me, but they're still preaching Jesus. I don't see a downside. Like that's Paul's optimism. And it's not this eternal optimism that, that everything's sunshine and rainbows because Paul's listed in other places in the New Testament, all the, the bad things that have happened to him, right? So he, he recognizes that sometimes life is hard. He knows it 100%, no doubt, but he's able to look at all of the circumstances through this lens of Jesus and, and be able to say, I, this, is, this is okay. Like I'm gonna rejoice because Christ is being preached. Now, were they preaching the 100% the truth? Probably not. They were probably bending it and twisting it a little bit uh, to, to suit them, to hurt Paul. But Paul was trusting that God's spirit and God's sovereignty would reign even in that situation. That if someone is, is preaching the name of Jesus and, and they're saying, Jesus is Lord, God will take care of the rest. Because that's why Paul was in prison was because he was saying Jesus is Lord. And if these people, whether they're for Paul or against Paul, are saying Jesus is Lord, Paul's trusting that God is going to work all of that out. Man, what an amazing confidence. He rejoices in Christ being preached, even if it's at his expense with those doing the preaching, simply desiring to make things more difficult for him. Like I have three kids age five, seven, and 10, it seems like they always try to make things more difficult for me, right? If you have or have had kids, you understand what I'm talking about. It's, kids make life hard. I don't rejoice in things being made more difficult for me. 
I'm, uh, uh, have any of you taken the Enneagram? Y'all know what that is? Maybe a few of you. So we're, we're real big on the Enneagram in our house. Uh, and I'm a one, which is the good person. Um, and so uh, the good person or the rule follower. And so when, when, I, when things are supposed to work a certain way, like that's the way they're always supposed to work, in my opinion. And so when things are made more difficult because something isn't working the way it's supposed to, like that is the world's worst thing in the, ever for me. Like it, it uh, I can't deal. Um, I just can't even, right? Um, but, but, but Paul here, if you look at Paul, and he was a one, to, I, I guess, I mean, as much as best as we can project on people who have been dead for 2,000 years, um, he was a one. And so uh, he's the reformer. He's uh, the good person, the rule follower. That's why he made a really, really good Pharisee, because uh, he followed all the rules. Uh, but, um, but even for Paul, uh, he was able to, to push aside his worldly self and these, this, this, this person he was, and he was able to look at these circumstances through the lens of Jesus. So Paul had crazy difficult circumstances and his confidence was still in Christ. And he had these rivals that were, were going against him and he was still able to push and, and see the beauty of what God, and the situation that God had set out. And ultimately this all brought him joy. Uh, the end of verse 18 says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my Deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So, this joy that Paul experiences, his ability to rejoice in his circumstances, and at the threat of rivals, is born out of his assurance of who Jesus has said that he is. Right? Paul is in prison for saying, Jesus is Lord. He was willing to suffer all of these, these things in life, stonings and uh, shipwrecks and being bitten by serpents and, uh, and all of these things, being imprisoned for the name of Jesus. Because Paul has confidence and assurance in who Jesus said that he is. And verse 19 to me, though, is, is, is kind of where this all turns. It's a breath of fresh air. It's very eye-opening to me. So verse 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will all turn out for my deliverance. Paul's joy and confidence in his circumstances were helped along by the prayers of the faithful believers in the church at Philippi and the Holy Spirit. See, Paul has... His confidence isn't born out of anything that is within him other than the spirit of God and the prayers of the people. So this idea that, that you can be this eternal optimist uh, and do this solo is crazy. Right, this idea that we can walk through life and walk through difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance after difficult circumstance alone is mind-boggling. Because Paul, the, the greatest evangelist, the, the, the greatest apostle uh, the, the, that we see in Scripture, this amazing man of God who loved the Lord, who loved Jesus, was imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked and all of these things. He says, for I know that through your prayers, talking to the, to the church at Philippi, these people that love him, these people that have, that have decided that this is an important thing, we know that Paul is in prison, we can't do anything to get him out, so what can we do? We can pray for him. 
We can pray for him. We can pray that, that God will do something miraculous, that God will take care of Paul, that God will protect, protect Paul, that, that God will release Paul from prison. Verse 19 is this breath of fresh air because what it does is it takes the weight off of our shoulders as individuals and allows us to see the greater body that is the church that is supposed to in, in come alongside us in difficult times so we don't have to walk it alone. See, Paul was in prison alone but he was never alone. Paul's sanctification, his growing in Christ-likeness did not take place in isolation. Our, our sanctification, us becoming more and more like Jesus does not take place in isolation. God never designed it that way. God never wanted it that way. And so this idea that we don't need to come together as a body of believers in our community and, and, and live life together and go through hard things and celebrate good things, this idea of, of walking alone as a Christian is, is unbiblical. We don't see that anywhere in scripture. This idea that we, we just come to faith and we just do it on our own. No, we see more and more in scripture. The more and more I dig into it, the more and more I'm beginning this church planning journey and we're, we're, we're starting from one house church and we went to two house churches. Now we're at three house churches and we're growing a community. It's a beautiful thing because when I'm struggling with something, I'm able to go and, and, and have people pray for me and pray with me, pray over my family. When a friend loses his job, we're able to step in and enter in and say, you know what, I don't have a job for you, but I can do the, the better thing. I can pray. I can seek the Lord on your behalf. I can intercede for you to the God that knows you and loves you and desires for you to, to know him and walk through this well. That's what Paul is saying here. For I know that through your prayers, church, people who love me, people that I've done life with, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, Paul isn't necessarily even thinking here that he's gonna get out of prison. He's hopeful, right? You go in prison, you always hope you're gonna get out. I think that's the ultimate goal. I don't know, never been there. But I think Paul hoped his desire was to be, get out of prison so that he could continue to spread uh, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, but this isn't, he's not saying, I know that by your prayers and through the power of the spirit that I'll get out of jail. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I will get through all of this. So whether it's getting out of prison or his ultimate salvation, Paul is seeking the Lord for all of that and he's depending on the power of prayer of people and the spirit of God. I'm a very independent person and we have our five-year-old as a very independent person and he's just like me, which um, is sometimes a good thing, but sometimes not. Uh, but he's very independent. He doesn't like us to do anything for him. But he's also the size of a three-year-old. And so like legitimately, like his bones aren't developing at the rate of a normal kid. And so he's five, but he's measures as a three-year-old. And so it's really awesome because he'll run around and do crazy things. And uh, he'll do things that a five-year-old can do, but he looks like a three-year-old. So people are like, ah, oh, this is crazy. This kid is awesome. And, and so I don't, I don't correct their thoughts um, because he is awesome. Uh, but um, uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. I just love my son, I guess. Um, I don't know. I lost it. All right, well, so Everett's cool. Hope y'all see him later. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, so Paul was not dependent on mustering up some otherworldly ability to rejoice in his own, 
right? So, so Paul is this eternal optimist in this situation, but it's not because he's, he's, it's getting from anything that is within him outside of Jesus. His joy and conviction were directly tied to his relationship with the church and the spirit. He didn't do it on his own. That's where I was going. Everett's independent, right? And he doesn't want us to help him. There are things that he can't do. There are things that, that he can't do on his own, that he needs mom or dad or big brother, or big sister, or someone around him to help him to, to accomplish a task that he wants to do. Um, we, have a, we have an eight-year-old, half lab, half uh, golden retriever, and she's the sweetest dog, best dog in the world. And so whatever it'll do, because he couldn't get things off of the, the counter, she would be laying right by the counter and he would just use her as a step stool. He couldn't do it on his own, so he made a way to do what he needed to do, right? So what, as followers of Jesus, as, as people who, who need to be connected to the body, man, this is, this is beautiful for me. This is amazing for me because our spiritual relationship with God is not completely an individualistic effort. Like we are in, in, in the United States today, what we think of when we think of, uh, of success, it's, it's always individual, right? It's almost, almost always individual. We are, we're a very um, do-it-yourself pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you can't, you know, if you can't do it, then you shouldn't do it, you know, by yourself, I, you know, rah, rah, rah kind of people. Like that's, that's who we are as Americans. But that flies in the face of, of, of scripture because as followers of Jesus, our relationship with God is not an individualistic effort. We are dependent on the power of the spirit in answer to the prayers of God's people. I don't do well depending on others. Uh, I, I was in student ministry for, for over a decade, which makes me feel really old. I just started real early, so don't worry, I'm not old. Um, but I was in student ministry for a long time, and, and I, it was always really, really hard for me. Like if I'm planning an event or if I were, we were doing something, like it was always really, really hard for me to delegate because I didn't know if the person I was going to delegate to could do the task I needed done as well as I could do it. It's hard for me to depend on people. But what Paul is saying here is he is dependent on the prayers of the church to get through these difficult situations. I have had to learn the hard way that I can't do it on my own. Like I'm planning a church and there are days when I just want to say, I'm going to do all of it. Like I'm gonna, I am going to do this. Like no one else is going to help. That's fine. Like there will be, I'll get in this, this attitude and this mindset of I'll look, at, I'll look at what's going on in our church plant and I'll be like, ah, no one's trying, no one's working. It's just me, so I'm just going to do it. But really, it's a horrible attitude to have, especially planning a church, because I can't do it. There is no way that I, in my own strength and in my own power, I'm going to plant a church. It has to be fully in the power of the spirit brought on by the prayers of the people of God. For Paul to have this confidence in this, these horrible circumstances with people who are trying to, to hurt him, his confidence is unshaken because he knows that people are praying for him and the spirit of God is going to work in his life. Paul's concern is not for his physical well-being or even that he will be released from prison, but that he will, be put, he will not be put to shame, but that Christ will be honored whether he lives or whether he dies. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. 
but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. His life will have been spent, whether he, he lives to see another day outside of prison or if he dies in prison or if he gets out of prison and dies later, Paul's life will have been spent for Jesus. The trials and the persecutions, the imprisonments and the beatings, all for the sake of Christ, have all had their place in his life. And in them, Paul rejoices because the gospel continues to be preached. The gospel continues to go out. And so Paul will rejoice no matter what happens. And he knows that God ultimately will rescue him and, and he will spend eternity with God in heaven. And so all that he goes through, all that he tries, all that he works for the kingdom will never come to shame. It will all come to fruition in, in Christ. One day, everything that Paul has done, his life that has been given for the gospel, we will see and we will know all these amazing things on the other side of heaven, right? Paul is able to look down and see, I mean, I planted this church here and this church here and this church here and the gospel exploded. And now look, there's a whole other continent that we didn't even know about. And people are preaching the name of Jesus today because Paul started and he was faithful to do it, even in the hard times, that he didn't give up, that he didn't get this pessimistic, horrible attitude and say, oh, I'm in prison, I can't do anything. No, he continued to preach the gospel of Jesus whenever and wherever he was. Paul was buoyed by the prayers of the church and the work of the spirit. He rejoiced in any circumstances he faced and had confidence that through his circumstances, he would ultimately receive salvation. I think too often we find ourselves trying are tying our joy and even our confidence in Christ to our circumstances. Like I think too often um, when we have house church on Wednesdays and, and two families show up, my confidence is shaken because my circumstance isn't what I want it to be, right? I think too often we, we go through these, these hills and these valleys and, and things are great and so we have all the confidence in the world in Jesus and then we go through this valley and it's hard and it stinks and we don't want to go through it and our confidence in Jesus is shaken. But is it because we are, our faith really in that moment is full on in Christ? Are we surrounded by a group of people who love us and are praying for us, interceding for us on behalf of the Father? Are we fully seeking after God the way that Paul was here? Because if so, I think that our, our attitudes in the midst of difficulty, our joy in our confidence in Christ won't be linked to our circumstances. They'll be linked to God and God alone. If our lives are being lived for Christ, then when we are even when we're being belittled because of our faith in Christ, we can rejoice for we know that it is our faith that will see us through. I feel like there's coming a day, uh, even in the United States, where uh, Christianity is going to begin to be persecuted. I mean, even now, uh, if, if, you, if you really stand for the things of God, a lot of times you are ridiculed and laughed at and made fun of. I uh, went through this a lot with students as a student pastor. I saw all the time where a student would take a stand for something for Jesus in school and immediately the, neg the negativity would begin to flow with them. It's the same here. It's the same as adults, right? You just take a stand for something at work right, because you have uh, an outlook that is a Christian outlook. Uh, people begin to look at you funny or snicker at you behind your back or, or make fun of you. If you don't do certain things because those things aren't uh, glorifying to God, there are people around us everywhere that, that, that think we're weird or that think we're crazy. 
That's life, though. I think it's just going to continue to get worse. And so what do we do? How do we respond? Well, we surround ourselves with, with people who love Jesus. We surround ourselves with the church because in, in the church, we find people who are saying, you know what, I'm for you. I'm with you in the midst of this difficult thing, whatever it is. I'll pray for you. I'll intercede for you uh, on your behalf before the Father. Paul was not discouraged. His confidence was not weakened because of people trying to use his own testimony about Jesus against him. Rather, he rejoiced that Christ was being preached. Paul knew that by his life or by his death, Christ would be glorified, that through his circumstances, he would receive salvation, not apart from the circumstances, but through the circumstances. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in saying, God, life sucks right now, I want out of it, or saying, God, life sucks right now, get me through it. There's a difference. And Paul understood that. Paul lived that out. His hope in this life was placed in Christ firmly and confidently and fully in Christ. He knew that the church was praying for him. And, and I can't, I just, just want to circle back to that. Like as I was, as I was preparing for this, uh, this week, that this hit me so strongly. We've, our family has been through some difficult seasons of life some really, really hard things. And we've been able to walk through them confidently in Christ, but not because my faith was so strong and not because my wife's faith was so strong. Although I, th I think we both had strong faith, but th the things that we've walked through have been hard. But the, what got us through it without a doubt in my mind, is we had faithful people behind us and in front of us and beside us that walked with us through difficult things, who prayed for us. And because of that, the Spirit was able to work in us and give us strength and perseverance and the ability to walk through some hard things. Church, that's what this is about. The, the, the church is not just this place to come and feel good about yourself. The beauty of, I, I love that you guys do house churches and I love that we do house churches because you get in this, this tight-knit community of people who you see on a weekly basis multiple times who hopefully you've begun to do things outside of your house church meeting together with. Right where your kids play together and you, you have meals together and you uh, go and do fun things together. And, and as you live life together, you begin to understand that other people struggle and you need to pray for them. And when you struggle, they'll pray for you. And you have this tight-knit group of people who love you and love Jesus and love the mission of Jesus and want to see that lived out in this world. If you're not in a house church, look, this isn't my church. So... You know, I'm not, not saying this because I go here. I'm saying this because I believe it to be true. If you're not in a house church, I, am, I beg you to get in one. If you're not in a small community of believers who love the Lord, I, I beg you to get in one. Find it. Because there are things that either you're going through now or have gone through or will go through that, that it will be not necessarily easier because the hurt in this world is, is no less hurt just because you have people around you. 
But you can walk through difficult things with confidence because you have people around you that love you and love Jesus and are praying for you. That's what Paul had. This, that, that is what ultimately his circumstances and the rivals didn't deter his joy because his joy and his hope were not set in his circumstances or the people who were against him. They were set firmly in God and he had people with him that were praying on his behalf and begging the Lord to do something in his life. That is what the church is for. Because we can't do it alone. We can't. I know people who are trying and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see people walk through hard things without Jesus first, but without the church second. I know people who are walking through some really difficult things that don't know Jesus and I don't know how they're upright how they're not just crumpled in the fetal position on the floor all the time. Because I've gone through some hard things, but if it weren't for Jesus, that's where I would have been. And then there are people who have Jesus, but they don't have the church. And I feel for them as well, because they don't have people who love them and are praying for them and are walking with them through difficult things. And so Paul is, is, is encouraging us in this letter to the church at Philippi saying, look, don't worry, I'm in prison. My circumstance isn't great, but the message of God is going out. So all is good. People are growing confident and they're telling other people about Jesus. So that's great. There are people who love me and are telling people about Jesus. So let's go. There are people who don't love me who are actually against me telling people about Jesus. So eh, what the heck? I'll rejoice in that too, right? And then he's saying, look, I know I can rejoice because I know that you're praying for me. Circumstances could not shake Paul. Rivalries could not distract him. Death held no fear over him because his confidence was in Christ, in Christ alone, and he was supported by the church. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see. You take just a minute and, and bow your head and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.